Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Good morning. If you're new to our church, my name is Dave. It's my privilege to serve as lead pastor here. And as Pastor Stan mentioned earlier, we're going to have a guest speaker, Bruce Strom. Uh, He leads a ministry called the Minister Justice. And I first came into contact with the Minister Justice, it must have been like 10 years ago, when my friend Alfred Lee, who's an attorney, introduced me to this ministry. He's involved with them and said they're doing some really great work providing very low-cost, nearly free legal care to those who need it. And then I found out a couple years later that our very own John Lee, who's now one of our elders, served on the board of directors, and so he invited me to be his guest to a fundraising gala, and I was very, very stirred by the things I heard at that gathering. Not too long ago, maybe about a year ago, Sarah McClary and I attended a breakfast at Judson College where Bruce was sharing his vision for the founding of this ministry, as well as his vision for launching gospel justice centers all over the place. And Gospel Justice Centers are sites located within partnership with local churches in their facility to provide legal aid to those communities. And it's our exciting hope to launch one very soon in our own church building. Now, let me tell you one other story that will give you a sense of why we feel so connected to Bruce and to Minister Justice. When we're getting very serious about buying our building... Uh, In the earliest stages, we were told by Bright Hope, sorry guys, but somebody else has just submitted a letter of intent to buy the building. And we were shocked because we had been talking to them for a while. We were really looking forward to taking the the building seriously. And yet this group had put in a letter of intent. If you know anything about that, that's pretty much, they have now the first right to buy the building. So I just happened to ask, who was it that put down that letter of intent? They said, oh, it's a group called Administered Justice. So I was like, hmm. So I reached out to Bruce and said, hey, Bruce, I don't know if you knew, but our church has been looking at that building, and they had no idea we were interested. Now, listen, they had no reason to back off the building. It was their right to pursue it. And if we decided to fight them, they're a bunch of attorneys. They would have beaten us easily. There's no way we win that fight. But it was such a kingdom-minded, gracious gesture. They said, if you guys are serious about that building, we'd love to back off. You go ahead and pursue it. And then one of the things he says is, would you at least consider opening a gospel justice center in the building when you guys own it? And so one of the reasons we own the building that we own now is because the minister of justice, in the name of kingdom unity, backed off so that we could pursue it. And we're so, so grateful. And we are excited that in our neighborhood where there's so much need for this, we're going to be able to offer legal aid to those who have no resources to pay for it themselves. Before I invite Bruce to come and share his vision for Minister Justice and give us the word of God as well, I want to ask you to check out this video that will set things up, and then he'll just come right up and preach. It will come as no surprise that the number of Americans living in poverty is increasing. What is surprising is where they live. For most of American history, the poor have lived in cities or in rural areas. But for the first time, the center of poverty in the U.S. isn't urban or rural, it's in the suburbs. This new reality is the result of many interconnected problems. 
But the singular truth we must all acknowledge is that whether you live in the city, the country, or the suburbs, the face of poverty in America is less likely to be somewhere out there and more likely to be across the street. Churches have responded to their community's needs with tangible expressions of God's love. But those immediate needs are often just symptoms of an underlying problem, injustice. Not in the sense that the world is an unjust place, but that a specific injustice was committed against a single mom, a working dad, an injured veteran, an elderly grandparent, and legal assistance is the only way to resolve it. But millions of Americans living in poverty are unable to access our legal system. We've all heard the statement, you have the right to an attorney, but that's only true if you're the one accused of a crime. If you're in need of legal help and don't have thousands of dollars to hire a lawyer, there's often nowhere to turn, and you remain trapped in a cycle of poverty without any hope of justice. The Bible says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. But how could your church provide legal assistance? Introducing Administer Justice. To learn more, visit our website at administerjustice.org. Well, good morning. It's not every day that a lawyer gets asked to preach, so thank you for, uh, for doing that. I do plead guilty to being an attorney, having many attorney friends like Ali uh, and others, and so it is a blessing, though, to be with you. I also am the son of a pastor, a pastor myself, and so uh, I'll, I'll wear both of those hats this morning as I share with you from the Word of God. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. It's a very familiar passage, starting in verse 25 through 37. Yes, so if all of you have your phones... Uh, but what I hope is that I can provide some fresh insights into what most of us consider a Sunday school story. As you're turning there, and if most of you know, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, I grew up in Sunday school, of course, because I am a pastor's kid. Literally, uh, the church owned the house, right? That was when parsonages were uh, more popular. And so right next door to the house, that's where I grew up. And Sunday school was in the first floor of our house. Now, frankly, I could never understand why I had to get dressed up. In those days, you wore suits before to go to church, and I had to get dressed up to go to my first floor of my house. I'm like, what the heck? That doesn't make any sense. I wanted to come down in my Superman pajamas. That's what I wanted. But, uh, and probably secretly, I still feel like I want to be a superhero. Um, that was my problem, and I'll tell you about that a little, in a moment. But in Sunday school, we had flannel. Have you ever seen those flannel boards? Is anybody here old like me? Uh, you have Okay, so good. Flannel boards. They were fun. And I loved Sunday school teachers. So they would take these figures and they put them on the flannel board. And I remember the Good Samaritan story really well, right? Because there was the figure of the priest, the Levite, right? You remember all these? The injured man. There was the Samaritan. There was even a donkey, as I recall. I, I think I can even remember some rocks, you know, around where those terrible robbers would come out. But there was somebody missing in that story, and it really upset me years later, and still does to this day. Do you know who was missing in the story? The lawyer. I mean, come on, it's the lawyer that asked the question that gets us the story. He's really important, but I never hear that. I never see the little lawyer put on that flannel board. Uh, so I'm grateful for that lawyer, though, because that is how we get the story of the Good Samaritan. Let me read. 
uh, and then we'll dive into God's word here together, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law, that's that lawyer, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we hear familiar stories in your word, and we can just skip past them, or we can just say, hey, I know that story. Will you give us new eyes to see, new ears to hear, new hearts to receive what you might have for us in this powerful story that you told as a way to motivate your people around your gospel, around your justice, that we might truly go and do likewise. And so, Father... Fill this place with your spirit. Fill us that we might live on mission for you, for your glory and yours alone. We pray it in your name. Amen. Well, the first person we run across in this parable, you know, is the, uh, is the injured man. And I think that uh, the story that the lawyer is asking about is, I think, profoundly about the gospel and justice. Now, over the years, I've never necessarily heard a message that, that looked at him from that perspective, the gospel and justice. Generally, I've always thought of it as kind of a compassionate story, a story that we should all show compassion to our neighbor. Uh, but I say it's about the gospel and about justice in this regard. right? The gospel to me, think about this. What was the question of the lawyer? that really started this story. Sometimes we even skip over that prelude and we just go straight to the story. But what was the question of the lawyer? Now, friends, I have lots of friends who are lawyers, and if you've ever been in court or if you've ever been at a deposition, you do not like this about lawyers, but lawyers ask good questions. They ask tough questions. But in this case, the, this lawyer asked the question. I mean, honestly, the question every single one of us in life must ask. Teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, that is life's question. How do I become saved? How do I enter the kingdom of heaven? Uh, 
That is the gospel question. Now, Jesus, let's be perfectly clear, was always crystal clear that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that we come to salvation. He is always about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But he also is always about, do not think that you will get there. You are not saved by works. So the 613 rules that the lawyer had memorized that were of the Talmud, right? These 613 rules that the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, teachers of the law, that they followed. It's not by those rules. So it's not by works, but it is to works. And that's what Jesus is kind of saying. Hey, you've got this heart that might align with the Levite that we'll see here in a moment. Uh, And I want to show you that a true saving faith is demonstrated in living love for others. And so my answer to your gospel question is going to not be don't believe in me, but it is going to be that if you believe in me, you will do what the Samaritan did. And so a true saving faith, faith without works, is dead. Uh, and that's, that is kind of Jesus' answer. It is a little shocking to me. You grew up in Sunday school, right? I did those sword drills. Did you guys ever compete in those things? You uh, attention, draw swords, and then you're given a scripture verse, and you have to race to it and then stand up and repeat it. And, man, I was good at that. So I knew the Bible. And so I knew that the, if I were going to answer this question, it would be Romans 10.9. If you believe in your heart, Christ, uh, or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then I would have immediately flipped over to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the free gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I knew the answers. But Jesus really wanted to dive us into more Ephesians 2, 10, right? Following right after those verses. For you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared for you that you might walk in them. And so Jesus is going to answer the question in that way, and I think it is the gospel. And I think it, he's clearly showing to the lawyer that it's not found in 613 rules. It's found in how you love your neighbor, how, as he said on the Sermon on the Mount, how you love your enemy. And that's who he's going to bring into the story is the enemy, the Samaritan. So that's why that's the gospel heart that drives the story. And then Jesus is going to connect justice to the gospel. The reason he's going to do that is because the justice is all about restoration. A lot of us, like I think the Levite here that I'll talk about, uh, lived in those rules, and they like rules. They like black, white. They like judgment. And many of us, if we're honest, think too often of justice as punishment for what one's owed. But the Bible's view of justice is, is not that. Oh, God is the ultimate judge, and he will judge, and we should all be grateful for that, that he punishes sin. But God is also a God of love. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in mercy, and we should certainly be grateful for that because that's what we all need. Uh, and in that, that's the Bible's view. So in Hebrew, there's two key words for justice. They are sedek and mishpat. And both of those are truly about restoring what is broken, righting what is wrong. They're about balancing scales, but balancing on behalf of the widow, the fatherless, the immigrant, and the poor, right? Those vulnerable quartet of the Old Testament. And that's the image of justice. And Jesus is bringing that into the New Testament here, and he's demonstrating that true justice is about restoring a vulnerable, injured neighbor. And that's the story of the Good Samaritan. 
So at first he brings in, of course, the Levite, uh, the priest and then the Levite. Uh, and this morning, I think it's always a question for us. Who do you most identify with? I'm going to show that I think the priest, both the priest and the Levite are good people on purpose. I mean, they are good religious leaders. Anybody listening to Jesus, there are always crowds around him, are going to think, hey, these, these are good guys. These are our leaders. And sometimes our leaders, good people, simply miss the true heart of God. I think sometimes we can lean like a Levite a little bit too religious, uh, a little too rules-oriented, and we miss the opportunity to truly love a neighbor in need. I think like a priest, we're going to see, I think sometimes we can just be a little busy. We just get wrapped up. The world gets so frantically busy. Uh, and we, we just think, oh, well, I'll get to that someday, or I'll help at some point. Uh, and we miss an opportunity. And Jesus is taking both of those to task as he demonstrates someone who really is going to stop, who really is going to love. Uh, and he's going to use that person as the example. But let's start with the injured person on that road. You know, Jesus on purpose doesn't really give us a lot of details because I think any one of us can be that injured person on Jericho's road. If the pandemic, I hope, taught us anything, I hope it is that all of us are vulnerable, right? You can get those shots, you can do these different things, but you cannot guarantee that you're not going to get sick. You do not know what tomorrow holds. You could, you could have a number of things. You could be in an automobile accident. You could uh, catch COVID, especially early on before they had the great treatments for it. Uh, there are anything can happen. We live with an illusion that we have control and that we're stable and we're good. But at any moment, something can happen. The economic crisis of the housing bubble that led people suddenly to lose homes who never thought that would happen before. Uh, the current economic crisis that we're in and challenges that always affect those at the bottom first and hardest, but they can affect any of us, a loss of job, uh, an illness. That's what typically we see in our neighbors. You know, a lot of people, unfortunately, think that those who are injured have caused it. And I say that a Levi here. Maybe they thought that, hey, this guy wasn't careful enough. Maybe God's judging him. I've heard people say that of the poor, too, that God's just judging them. If they really believed, then they'd be prosperous, right? There's a terrible prosperity gospel that exists in our country, uh, and it is just a lie, uh, a flat-out lie. I don't know how you explain the book of Job, if that's what you really believe. In fact, the book of Job shows that God will allow lots of different circumstances to draw us closer to him and magnify him. And that's what happens to our friends. Our friends right here in your neighborhood, especially around the area of the building, there's neighbors there, and many of them have needs. They're struggling, and among those needs is legal. And, and sadly, one in three Americans simply cannot afford an attorney. Thank you. Uh, great. A cup of cold water goes a long way. That's what Jesus said, too, so thank you. Uh, our neighbors, I mean, one in three Americans simply cannot afford a lawyer. It's tragic. The United States of America now ranks 126th out of 139 countries for providing affordable access to justice. Our great nation that pledges liberty and justice for all is simply failing in that pledge because law is a monopoly. Only lawyers can practice it. And because of that, we can set our fees, and our fees are set beyond the reach of way too many Americans. 
So they cannot afford lawyers. Consequently, every second in America, someone is turned away from legal help because they simply cannot afford, they do not know where to turn, and a lot of times they just give up. Here's a way to put it in perspective that maybe is easier to handle because millions of people can't access. But think of it this way. If you were to go to Soldier Field, uh, which is very empty now because, of course, we didn't do so well this year. <clears throat> but if you were and the stands were completely filled, that's 60,000 seats, every single seat occupied. Think of that stadium. Every single seat occupied and every single seat occupied by somebody who needs legal help. And then they ask the lawyers in the stadium to come forward so that they can receive help. Well, six lawyers walk onto the field with set out these little card tables to meet with people. That's all that there would be. And if they meet for 30 minutes, just 30 minutes, with each of those 60,000 people, and they don't take bathroom breaks, they don't eat, they don't sleep, it's going to take them more than six months to serve the people that have needs. And sadly, too many of our neighbors recognize that, and they don't even try. They just give up before they even get started because they're so defeated. But friends, what if... Harvest Community Church said, no, we're going to open our doors and we're going to be there. And you join along with 80 other churches presently marching toward a 1,000 Gospel Justice Centers transforming lives. What if all of those churches suddenly said, hey, get out of the stadiums. We're here in your neighborhoods. We're opening our doors. And suddenly the story would be totally different. Now there is access for our neighbors. Now they can find a loving place to receive legal help and gospel hope along the way. And that's what you're becoming a part of, a movement of the Holy Spirit moving across this nation to help vulnerable, injured neighbors who really need good guidance, direction, and counsel. They need a team of loving people to come alongside them, to pray with them, to provide practical help, uh, and point them in the right direction and invite them to become a part of your church. And that is my prayer, that in the years ahead, as you grow and as you move into that wonderful building and as you're there in the neighborhood, that more and more people will come. They'll see you as a place that cares because of your Gospel Justice Center. And they will walk into your facility on that Saturday morning to receive that legal help. But they will meet the people of God and the love of God in such a way that they want to stay and they come back on Sunday, and they become a part of this body. We've seen it happen time and time and time again. And that's my great hope and prayer for you as you move forward. Well, what's going to stop that? One of the big things, I think, is the priest. I say that that person was just busy. Right? I don't want you to be so busy that you miss what God has for you. I think that's what he was saying of the priest. You know, priests, they would go in these... Uh, Two times, twice a year, they would serve at the temple in Jerusalem, and then they'd go back home. So the priest looks like he's going back home to Jericho. After having served, he's been gone a couple of weeks, hasn't seen his family, uh, and so probably just wants to get home. Right? If you've been on a trip, I mean, if you've been on a business trip for a few weeks, you know, you miss your family, he's just thinking about that. It's probably something good. But along the way, the Bible makes clear that he saw the injured neighbor. So he saw a need, but whatever went through his mind, or maybe he was just so fixed on his own thoughts and his own circumstances that he literally missed a divine opportunity 
to serve this neighbor. And I think that's a lot of our stories. I think sometimes we uh, just miss the opportunity or what God has for us. He's asking us and inviting us to focus on loving neighbors, and we're just so caught up in ourselves that we miss it. Now, friends, I get this. Uh, when my kids were little, Joseph is with me today. He's in law school today, uh, and honestly, he was always a little lawyer. But uh, if you want to know the definition of original sin, I honestly think it's twin boys, uh, especially when they're little. So uh, Helen finally got to the point where she thought she could trust the boys with me because uh, they're a handful, and they were probably less than two years old. Uh, and so... She ran off to run an errand, left them with me. Now, I'm just like this priest sometimes. I get, I get focused in on my things, right? It's a simple request. Keep your eyes on the boys. Well, I'd love to. I try to tell this story like I'm doing something deeply spiritual, reading my Bible on something, but I'm watching a ball game. That's what I'm doing, okay? So I figure it's quiet. That's a good thing. Now, yeah, all the moms in the audience, they know better, but... In the meantime, of course, twins, they conspire. It's amazing how, easy, how well they work together. Uh, so Daniel gets down on all fours. Joseph climbs up on top of him. That allows him to reach a snow globe that he could not otherwise reach. It falls. It breaks. Now there's glass, right? He goes to grab it, uh, cuts his hand pretty badly. And, of course, like a good brother, Daniel, he's not concerned about whatever, he takes his brother's hand and uses it as a paintbrush to paint a mural on the wall. A mural of blood. Uh, it's just about that time that Helen returns home. Of course she asks, hey, how are the boys? They're fine. Well, her scream from upstairs let me know that that was probably not an accurate description. Uh, and so I swear, we still live in the same house. You can't wash blood off, so I had to paint over it. But if one of you want to come with your fancy scientific, those ultraviolet lights, to our house today you will swear somebody was murdered in our house. And I can assure you I almost was. So that's the, and that, it's a great story. But it's a, the problem is it's so easy, right? It's so easy for us to get focused on what we think is important. For me that day it was watching a ball game instead of really having the opportunity to truly spend time and just with my sons. Uh, and that happens all the time to us. We get so busy. We just feel like, hey, I'm not qualified. I'm too busy. I don't have the time. I don't have the uh, resources. Uh, maybe someday. And we tell ourselves that maybe someday all the time. Well, today is the day. And Jesus is inviting you to see the needs of neighbors around you and to step out in faith and love those neighbors and serve them. For the Levite... Uh, Levites, I think he was just judgmental, as I said. I run into individuals like this sometimes who truly do believe that the poor have made poor decisions and that they're living the consequences of those decisions. And I just have to tell you, after having served more than 100,000 vulnerable neighbors over the last 23 years, uh, that is sometimes true, but often not. A lot of times it's circumstances. A lot of times it's health circumstances. It's an accident. It's somebody who left or abandoned them. It's a loss of job. It's a lot of times circumstances outside of their control. 
that just have pushed them over the edge. Maybe they were living too close to it, like too many Americans, with too much debt, too many other things. And it just takes one thing. And then it's a domino effect that cascades downward. Um, and that's what can happen. Sometimes some people do make bad decisions. But you know what? Are you going to honestly try to tell me that you've never made a bad decision in your life? I'll find that very hard to believe. So we all make bad decisions. Uh, and all of us are sinners in need of grace. So who are we to cast stones and to judge our neighbor versus taking the opportunity to love our neighbor? And I think the Levite missed that opportunity uh, that God had for him. Um, I think he just didn't understand the biblical view of justice. And like a lot of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees that Jesus said, you guys, you don't get it. Yes, you're giving a tenth of your dill, mint, and cumin, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, starting with justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And I think for too many of us, we can be like that. I think we think of neighbor stories kind of like what happened over the pandemic. We had a wonderful um, grandmother who lives in an apartment uh, not far from here, downtown, on the west side, uh, and she uh, has an autistic grandson, six-year-old grandson, and she uh, received an eviction notice from her apartment, and she just couldn't figure it out. She couldn't figure out why, and she tried to find out, but, you know, the landlord was in New York City, 900 miles away, huge corporation. They didn't want to listen to her. What they did was they had on camera, they had a drug dealer um, on the premises, this was Section 8 housing, and he uh, was seen. And so they wanted to change these, uh, this housing unit into condominiums and send eviction notices to every single person in the unit because if you're associated with a drug dealer, you can kick them out of Section 8 housing, and that's what was happening. But she didn't even know all of this at the time. She just knew that she'd gotten this eviction notice. She knew that she wasn't anywhere near. She could show receipts from where she was shopping, far away at the time, and she's a grandmother, autistic grandchild. Uh, she's certainly no affiliated with a drug dealer, but nobody wanted to listen to her. She had no power to speak to this corporate landlord, and she just had no ability, and she's terrified, terrified of being homeless in the city of Chicago with this boy. And then she learned of the power of a gospel justice center, and this is her story. Reverend Alvin C. Bibb Sr., I'm the Community and Faith Engagement Officer for Together Chicago, and also our uh, the role that I played in launching these very exciting gospel justice centers, exciting gospel justice centers in strategic communities across the city of Chicago. On a Wednesday morning, my colleagues and I were at a community meeting, and all of a sudden, one of our leaders actually looked out the window and there was this young lady that was trying to get everybody's attention. We discovered she was on the verge of being evicted from her home with her grandchild and had no idea exactly how to address her situation. We realized that she needed some legal assistance. Well, it just so happened that particular weekend, the Jesus Words Center Gospel Justice Center doors were open to greet and serve clients. It was quite easy for us to say, look, here's some contact information. We will love to have you and we will make sure 
that you have a consultation with one of our wonderful attorneys to hear and discern exactly how your need can be addressed and serve you in a very powerful way. After the interaction with the young woman, it was quite clear that a direct call into the senior pastor needed to happen. When I see Alvin's name, I always pick up because Alvin is passionate about justice. He's passionate about what I'm passionate about. And so I picked up. He gave me the heads up that a young lady would be coming. And so she came and we could see she was broken. We could see that a little afraid because we're strangers to her. But our team know that this is what we're here for. So we made her feel welcome. And then Rosina, who's our advocate, took her to the side and began to minister to her. And then our attorney came. My interaction at that point is just, you know, hi, you know, my name is Rosina. I'm so glad you came today. Um, you know, I'm just looking forward to you having a good session with the attorney. And when you're finished, you're going to come back to me. And then we're going to talk about how everything went. And then I try to make it a smooth transition to coming up and seeing the attorney. After our client met with our attorney, there was a recommendation made that she needed to have additional legal counsel outside of that particular setting. Well, in that moment, our client had a look of anxiety and concern about that because she was already facing financial crisis in regards to her potential eviction situation. And to have additional financial needs surface was just probably far-reaching for her. When she came back down from the attorney, I just simply asked if I can pray with her. I asked if she happened to know the Lord Jesus as Savior. When I asked that question, she just began to cry. And so I just got up and I just hugged her because I could see that she really felt the disconnect. And I just asked, is, is that something you want to do? And she said, yes. And so we prayed together. And we cried together. You could just feel the unloading of what she was carrying. It was at that moment that I realized it was even more serious than the legal matter. And that's when God blessed this entire situation with an anonymous donor to support our client that we didn't know was coming, she didn't know was coming, but God blessed this situation. She was able to not only have received this financial gift, but she was also able to spend time with additional legal counsel that was able to hear her case, go before the judge, get on the solution side, and prevent her from being evicted from her residence on the near west side of Chicago. This young lady came in broken, and you could see the brokenness. You could feel it, but she left restored. And we did the possible, and Christ did the impossible for her. This is why we're partnering with Administer Justice, because we believe in the movement and the mission of this organization. There's more clients, there's more communities, there's more cities. Our nation is in crisis. Our nation desperately needs gospel justice centers in cities all across North America. Being with Administered Justice is another level of opportunity to serve. I'm just so proud that our church does that.
possible and God did the impossible. You know, don't ever shrink back from God's call to step out in faith because he will meet you in that moment. Uh, and he's going to provide all that you need. And he will do the impossible as he changes people's lives. That really is the invitation of the Samaritan. Somebody who was hated, despised, worse than the Greeks. I mean, they were considered dogs uh, to Jews. And Jesus was frequently castized by saying, hey, he's demon-possessed a Samaritan. Right? That's how low they thought of Samaritans. The Samaritan stopping here in this story may not have been thanked at all by the injured man. It didn't matter to the Samaritan. He saw an opportunity and he was going to take what he had and use it to serve um, the injured neighbor. And he did, right? He's probably a traveling merchant. He's got different things on him, oil and wine and bandages. And he immediately fits that immediate need. And then he takes the uh, injured man to an inn so a place where he can be, receive wholeness and healing, which is why we're always cited in churches, because I believe the church is that in. I believe it is the place of restoration, of healing, of ongoing help and support. And he takes him there. And then he spends an entire day. He takes time. He had a schedule. He had something he was doing. But he takes the time. He takes two days' wages. That's two denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. And he says, I'll give more if it's needed. That's going the extra mile to love a neighbor, not expecting anything in return. And I love that that's the Samaritan, and it is the call and the challenge to you. It's one that I did not always understand. I do appreciate Pastor Dave's uh, reference. I will sometimes share my story uh, because I am a recovering Pharisee. I understand the teachers of the law, identify with them. Uh, I know the rules well and implemented them and was a very successful uh, attorney in private practice. I used to tell my father, you know, because I grew up in a time when he didn't own a house and we grew up rather poor, and I said, Dad, I just, I just don't want to be poor. I want to be wealthy. That's a terrible thing to say, but that's the truth. And so I knew that meant either I'd be a doctor or a lawyer. To this day, I can't stand the sight of blood. It was an easy choice. So remember, I couldn't stand that side of blood. <laughs> I had to, but uh, So I, I knew at an early age I wanted to be a lawyer. Went on, I was always a very good student. Uh, went on through college, did exceedingly well. Went into law school, did exceedingly well. Came out, worked for a firm, realized right away I could make more money if I started my own practice. So two years in, I started my own practice, was making lots of money, got to argue cases all the way to the United States Supreme Court, was doing exceedingly well, lots of offices. but. Along the way, I was working for the wrong kingdom. It was my kingdom come, my will be done on earth. And heaven, you, you bless it, right? I, I'm calling on heaven to just bless the work of my hands, and I fall into this belief that somehow that's true. But my wife was praying differently, that, uh, and she's here with me, that, that God would capture my heart and really call me back to that heart of ministry that I'd grown up in, uh, and that she just believed that God could use me to advance his kingdom and not my own. Now, there's a larger, longer miracle story around my son's birth. My, Joseph is a twin brother, as I said, Daniel, uh, and it was years and years and years that we could not have children, and so that was my suffering. That was my way that God drew me to understand suffering in others. Ultimately, he gifted and he heard the prayers of my wife and my sons are born 
And it was as I saw that, as I saw God being faithful um, in, in that, that I began to see the needs of other people who were suffering. And in my particular realm, it was, God, what have you given me? You've given me a law degree. How can I use that in the service of others? And so in the year 2000, I started Administer Justice. Uh, and it ran out of the church that I was a part of. I was an elder at at the time. And it was one Saturday a month, which is what we do now, typically. Uh, and I had other friends that were volunteering and things volunteering. And I thought that was good. Have you ever bargained with God? I, a lot of people will bargain with God. That was my bargain, right? It's like, okay, God, thank you for the twins. Thank you for my sons. I'll do this good thing. Uh, and But that was the full extent of my intent. But as the phone just rang off the hook and as people were just flooding in and as the needs rose and there just wasn't a way to really meet it, God was saying, hey, I want you to do this full time. Well, my wife was staying home raising the twins, which was great for the senior partner of a really successful law practice. Uh, and God calling me to leave that, to sell and to go and go, go full time. I didn't know how to do a not-for-profit. I certainly didn't know anything about fundraising. I just sent out very big bills and expected people to pay. And when they didn't pay, I sued them. I mean, it was, not, it was a pretty easy gig. But uh, here God was actually asking me. And then, of course, like any good lawyer, I was debating, arguing. Let me just say it took three years before administer justice, so I'm a good arguer, uh, started full-time. And along the way, God just sent all kinds of conflict in my life. And friends, it's my great invitation to you today. Do not ignore the prompting of God. If he's calling you to serve with Sarah in this ministry, if he's calling you to step out in some other step of faith, do it. Because when you ignore it, it's just not good. So God was sending all kinds of conflict. I mean, I had associates I was trying to hire that fell apart. I was trying to buy two buildings that fell apart. I was trying to uh, do other things. I, saw, I found myself suddenly in some lawsuits, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I was a man named Jonah. You recognize him? I was running away from the call of God, and he sent a storm of circumstances into my life, and he will do that for you. And I'm urging you not to go down that path, to instead respond immediately. Well, I did respond, and in that response, I went in and told my partners, okay, I am being Jonah. I need to shut everything down. Uh, they were not thrilled with that. Um, I was the rainmaker for the firm, and uh, they were wonderful Christians. All of our firm was a Christian, but th they, were, they were not happy. I thought, well, shoot, this is hard. And then I closed it down, and I found myself in this little 8 by 10 office that a realtor friend had allowed me to borrow and use as the first office of administer justice. I'm there all alone. I don't have great staff around me. Uh, I don't have really nice law offices. I'm in this little dinky office, and I'm sitting there, and for the life of me, I cannot figure out how to print an envelope. I mean, honestly, guys, I hate to confess this, but I had people who did that, right? I did not know how to print an envelope. I thought, Lord... I don't know how to raise money. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to serve the poor. That wasn't my practice. Uh, it was outside my area. And now I'm here. I thought this is what you wanted me to do, but this is too much. Everybody's telling me I'm crazy, and I believe them. I am crazy. What in the world am I doing here? And that is literally what I did. You can shake your fist at God. I don't know if you've done it before, but I literally did shake my fist at God. And I literally said, what am I doing here? But friends, I'm not crazy, but he did answer me. 
not audible, but very distinctly, he said, my will, for whatever you do, for one of the least of these, you do unto me. And that wrecked me. That drove me to my knees, and that proud lawyer, that proud teacher of the law, was just broken. And I now grieve the years that I realized that I was too much about building my kingdom and not about his kingdom. I spent too many years thinking that life was actually about me instead of recognizing that life is not about me. It's about how God can use me in the loving service of others. And that's what the Samaritan did in the moment that he took. And it's what God would allow me to do now for the last 23 years, to invite more and more people each year to live on mission for him, to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And what a joy and privilege that is. I will just say that uh, I have learned that justice, the easiest way for me to think of justice now and that I invite you into is to look at the word justice. If you were to spell it out, I like it in English. There's a J-U-S on one side. There's an I-C-E in the other. But the heart of justice is, you could say it's the letter T, but I don't. I say that's the cross of Jesus Christ because the heart of justice is the cross of Jesus. He invites you to pick up that cross daily and follow him. And if you follow him, you will follow him to the poor and the vulnerable. That's where he spent his time. That's where he healed. That's where you'd find him. That's what he was accused of being, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And you, if you want to be a follower of Christ, will be accused of the same. I love his people, all people, because God is not a God of labels. He's a God of love. And so he will allow you to serve neighbors. And I'm so looking forward to how he's going to do that through this church. And I know there's opportunity for other volunteers still. Just in the last 24 hours, I understand a lawyer has stepped forward. Praise God. A volunteer, another volunteer has stepped forward. But there is room for you at the table to be a part of this wonderful team that gets to come alongside neighbors. That to do what our namesake comes from the book of Zechariah, um, chapter 7, verse 9, that says this. This is what the Lord Almighty said. It's what he said in Zechariah. It's what he says to you today. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Oh, let's do that. And let's hear the words of Jesus to that lawyer. I don't know what that lawyer. I hope I meet that lawyer in heaven. I don't know if he really understood Jesus and if he went and followed him. Or if he didn't, and I won't meet him because he'll be forever separated from God. I hope he did, and I hope you do too, because this morning it is his invitation to you to go and do likewise. Amen. Before we um, sing a closing song, I'm going to invite the praise team, if you can make your way forward. Um, I want to just ask us to respond to what we heard through Bruce this morning. Last year, I was in the New Testament the whole year. This year, I'm diving into the Old Testament. I'm going to walk through the Old Testament over the next two years. And one of the things that I'm startled by is just how often God calls us to care for the poor. 
it seems central to the heart of knowing and following God is to care for the poor. And yet, in the church that I grew up in, I don't ever remember that being a priority or an area of focus. I remember thinking that the Christian faith is all about refining my own personal faith and that the world around me had to deal with his own stuff. The heart of Jesus is for the poor. And I think it's important for us to remember that being poor is not what you are. It's a state of being. And it's one that is reversible if someone will have your back. So I'm going to invite you to just respond. But I, I want to just ask this question. How many of you in this room have ever had a time in your life where you didn't have enough? Where you were under-resourced, where you were worried about your finances or felt powerless, where your family did? I can raise my hand. We went through some really hard times as new immigrants. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm guessing most of us in this room have had a season in our lives where we didn't have enough and it did not feel good for some of us it made us vow never to be in that place again remember what that felt like because we can lift others in the same way that God lifted us it's our privilege to launch a gospel justice center in our church building but we want to do more than that we want to change the posture of our church to care for those who find it hard to meet their own needs Would you just join with me in committing that before God as a personal and as a church commitment? Let's just pray that together. And as you feel led to respond to Jesus in your own life, in your own heart, to this calling, just respond to him. Tell him what you want to say, what you want to commit. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.